Hi, my name is Visha Cadell and I'm bringing you Behind the Face of Success, a podcast that delves into the untold stories of people that have reached great heights in their careers and the decisions, whether good or bad, they took to get there. Now, my background has been in big tech over the last few years, and I find it to be an industry that continues to fascinate me. One way that keeps it very interesting is that it changes and evolves so quickly that you're always kept on your toes. So if you're figuring out what to do for your future job or thinking about moving into the digital space, well, your future job might not exist just yet. And that's the beauty and the thrill of tech. Speaking of which, my guest today did just that. She's super cool and super smart, Leanne Elliott-Young, who also happens to be the perfect balance of a fashion and tech mastermind. Sounds intimidating, perhaps, but I can assure you she also happens to be one of the most humblest and nicest people I have met. So let me tell you a little bit more about her. Leanne Elliott-Young is the CEO and co-founder of the Institute of Digital Fashion which has had six industry world's first in metaverse activations and concepts and is the global leader. Vogue has said that the agency is masterminding fashion's transition into the metaverse. Leanne co-founded Institute of Digital Fashion as an emblem for change to build a more inclusive and diverse fashion future. Leanne, known as the Metaverse Mama, is noted globally as the lead innovator and commentator on the topics of metaverse, digital fashion innovation, inclusivity in tech, Web3 sustainability and NFTs, building business cases and creative concepts for the future. Leanne is a C-suite executive, female founder and academic, and I feel like I'm about to get a big education. Hi, Leanne. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here and see you today as well. Thanks for having me. Excited about this too, very much. In super cool glasses. I feel like I'm (laughs) underdressed, but then when I'm next to you, I always feel a bit underdressed because you're just so fabulous. We need to sort you out some digital wearables for the next session. Oh my God. I'm thinking that, yeah. Are you? Okay, excellent. I'm into this. I've obviously talked a little bit more about your background and you have such an impressive CV, but I really love our listeners to get to know you a little bit more. So tell me a little bit more about your life growing up and your childhood and your environment. I had like very unusual parent of parents. My father's from a Roman gypsy background and is a tattooist, but very entrepreneurial. And my mother worked in law, yet she was a pagan. So I think like from the onset, my world was full of juxtapositions. Um, my grandparents were a really big part of my life. Um, they were from London, so we spent loads of our time in London. Um, and then growing up, my parents had a tattoo shop, a sunbed shop and a fancy dress shop. So like, I was surrounded by these, I suppose, like different ways that individuals could craft their identity. Because I've been thinking about this a lot, like, this question and, and what made me who I was today. And I suppose all of those like incremental parts, but primarily spend a lot of time in London, like going from, again, the contradiction of Norfolk, the countryside, muddy knees and then the fast pace of London having those two juxtapositions I think we're really heavy in I suppose I'm building who I am today really yeah. oh, that's so cool also I think that balance of London life Norfolk life 
those creative outlets as well that your parents introduced you to was also very interesting. And then your mum's in like law. It's like so many different things in your life. (laughs) Like totally bizarre. And I think that's it is that I think I'm a massive contradiction as well. Like who am I? Like I'm someone that was in my school life. I was like a really annoying grade A pupil that spoke too much in class, was a class clown. And I know that we're speaking to a really specific group of individuals like within this podcast and your whole mission. So I wanted to introduce the fact that like I found school, like I really love school like so much. I love learning. I also found it really problematic because I was deeply inquisitive. I was very outspoken and I was always in trouble. So, you know, the fact that I was, again, this idea of contradictory, and I, I really did love learning. I found the restraints of the classroom very difficult, and I actually loved the playground. And, you know, I had not one but three businesses whilst I was at school, like as a sideline, decorating people's pencils and, and basically face painting. So I always had this kind of idea of, like, the world outside of school, and the fact that it wasn't about the classroom education, but actually about this like holistic manifesto of the world and all the people in it. Yeah, I love that. But I think there's something about rules, like breaking the rules a little breaking bit. Breaking them. <laughs> you know, I used to have a school uniform and I was like, I never wore the school uniform and I was always in trouble. But then I was a bit of a geek too. But talking about where you are right now, you know, you wouldn't have thought about that when you're like, 15 years old because those roles wouldn't have existed when you were growing up so who did you actually want to be before you became the person that you are today I mean I was like I've been really thinking about this like who do I want to be and I think that because of all these like really interesting factors and like what my home life was like I was introduced to so many different people my parents had a big house where all the parties happened but all the meetings happened you know so my mother's office would spill out so we had all the court papers there and then my father's tattoo studio was in the back room and people like working through these ideas of what their identity was and building and crafting their identity with this like vision of like tattooing and my mother actually standing up for individuals that had issues and perspectives of their like cultural backgrounds or identity and so I think that I always knew that the who I was going to be I perhaps would never know until I was it because there's so many different opportunities to be who you wanted to be so you know when it's like oh a fireman and a nurse and a I think I never had that like weighted thing and I did actually struggle with that you know when you had to fill out I remember when you were it's like you're 12 or 13 when you fill out all of the things that you like and then the school go, by the way, you're going to be. And mine was like so bizarre. It was like a marine biologist. I was like, how the hell did you get there? I just totally pulling my leg because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I loved solving problems. You know, I was a person that everyone went to like with their homework, with their partners, what to do about their parents and how they can get into a party. Like I could solve any problem, you know, as I was like, you know, oh my God, how do we solve this? I'm like, Everyone's like, let's go to Leanne. She, she'll be able to solve it. So, you know, my, my cheekiness would kind of like be, uh, was effectively, and why I was always in trouble was the fact that I could, I love solving good problems. But yeah, I knew I had a, um, a really good design and technology and graphic design and art um, teacher. And they were very philosophical. And I remember I made this drinks container. So this idea of a concept for a drink and I made it ergonomically sound. It was like the shape of a core of an apple. So your hands wrapped around it and you could squeeze it and have a drink. So at one point, I think I wanted to like design objects that fitted on the body and randomly 
well, not randomly, but to the point, that's what we're doing now, digital fashion. It's things that can fit anybody, you know, any gender, any size. So actually, I love that we're doing this because it's it sent me down this really intense path of like, who am I? How did I get here? Like, I feel like you've been my my silent therapist. I'm my- obsessed with the fact that this podcast is going to help you find yourself. That's it. <laughs> this is what it's about. But you know, I just love the fact that you didn't actually stick to a job that someone has said, this is the job. You actually found your strengths, which is a problem solver in innovation, clearly, and then found your way. And that's why I want to kind of get into next, which is, when did you actually choose to like work in fashion and the tech space? And now you're in this role as a CEO, but obviously it's taken some time to get there. So walk me through that evolution and the moment you made that choice. I really fell into fashion. And I think there's so many, I suppose, streams of how, how to get into fashion. A lot of the work we're doing at IEDF now is really disrupting those. You know, we've got our IRL URL Academy. And I, we'll come to that a bit later because I want, you know, when we do our tips. So I fell into fashion because I think that I always, I, you know, the fact that my parents had the fancy dress shop and I always love like sculpting different versions of myself. So I was very like fashion orientated, but I saw it more as creating identities and performative and really being that inquisitive soul that was trying to work out who I was and how I fit into the world. Because have, between this kind of London and Norfolk upbringing, which were very different, so I saw I saw fashion as very linear, and I didn't realise that I was making fashion in what I was doing. And actually, how I started to work in fashion was that I got a job in a pub whilst I was doing my fine art MA, and it was a Georgian Dragon, and I was surrounded by all these phenomenal people like some of the biggest names were like were I was serving pints to and I was periodically like dancing on the bar in my handmade ridiculous outfits and then you know you'd be in the club together and from that um me being the entrepreneurial person that I was I thought okay how can I build a business that was in the intersection of art and fashion and what does that mean to the culture of our times and how can you build activations and these cultural narratives around those two worlds that seem from an educational perspective very far apart but actually so inclined art and fashion are one and the same thing and then I brought in lots of the conversations on like innovation technology using this STEM narrative so science technology engineering well maths and art if you put the A in it for STEAM so I built a business Nike was um, we were doing all these kind of wild activations and Nike picked us up and said okay we've got a space we want to talk about culture. We want to bring in individuals from a cross section of humanity. Um, we want to have grime artists and footballers, you know, like some of the top tier talent. Like, how do we talk to them all in the same vein? And what can we build for them that really is about Nike, which is about future, which is about innovation, which is about culture? And that. I was like, wow, this is like, this was like my, the dissertation I wrote for my fine art MA. So in a way, all of these things were coming together and then working with Nike, the responsibilities of that and having my own agency, you know, I had to build a team. I had to deal with budgets. And again, being an eternal optimist, I just did it. I was like, I can do this. We can do this. Let's do it. Like, who do I know? Um, I read loads of books on like how to build businesses. I did lots of short courses. And fast forward five years later, running the global entertainment and marketing with Nike and had offices and projects that went London, New York, Paris, Shanghai. And at that point, I knew that 
my skill set was about seeing the micro and macro and understanding the growth opportunities within that. I knew how to build teams. I knew how to talk with clients. But beyond that, I knew how to solve their problems succinctly. And I think that for me was when I knew that what my role was in all of this. Like, I love the nitty gritty. I was good enough at delegating to not get too involved in it, which I think is one of the worst problems with the C-suite, right? If you spend too much time in the weeds, but you have to know the weeds, you have to know how they grow, you have to know how to tend to them, but you need to be dedicated to build a good enough team to be able to do that for you and trust that team. I got to those things, I think because I was working on so many different territories and lots of different budgets and with lots of narratives within this really exciting cross-section I was like, okay, I think I know, I think I know what I am now. I think I know what I'm doing. So yeah, in the end, they were our only client. You know, we could we service them on all these global territories. It was a really exciting period. It was prior to the big rise of social media. So everything that we were, whilst we were delivering these projects, um, Instagram was launched. And at that time we decided to make all these, all these big innovation um, narratives much more about not saying anything. So the projects that we were doing were were effectively heavily NDA'd. You were told as an influencer not to talk about them, but they were big, like wonderful experimental activations that were spanned all these global territories. So after that, I then launched another company called Communist, which was primarily about STEAM practices. So really science heavy, because I really believed in this omni-channel um, future where the physical and digital were going to merge and at that point I can say this like (laughs) Nike were really slow to sign off so there's loads of frustrations there product development was you know two three years in the making so it was all of the innovations we were doing in this amazing hub the Nike as a company couldn't take them on quick enough and I was deeply frustrated so I launched a, a company and pro- uh, project with my collaborator at the time, which is Richard Nichol. And we um, started to work with this STEM narrative. And we run that. And really sadly, Richard died. It was, it was a crazy moment. Um, so I carried on Communist. And we had loads of projects from Lexus to Selfridges, group, working on a group level on their IRL, URL strategies. And in kind of year three of that, I met Cathy Tay, who's now my business partner, and I think for a business, for, to have a real strength is to have two co-founders that come from different perspectives and deliver, you know, as much gusto and energy at the same equal measure. But just to have different strengths and Katty's strength at that point, when we launched um, Institute Digital Fashion, we met on a panel and we were both singing from the same song sheet, talking around digital fashion what it meant, but primarily about the lack of diversity inclusion in the tech space. And Katty had a community called DigiGal, which which they set up, which is about non-binary, queer, and effectively underrepresented individuals in the tech space. And so all the work I was delivering with Communist, we basically merged clients and merged um, our thinkings and launched like IODF. That is so interesting because I've just you know because I've heard so much in that one thing that you've actually just said which is you found purpose and a business in culture you've 
sense something because of the way that you're, you're really creative and and you think about innovation you found that way but also you started to build more from that you know the added business the support network the people that you started talking to so it's just really interesting to kind of hear how you've actually taken that forward and you're completely right when you're in a space that you're in which is you know tech and digital and and fashion you need inspiration you need inspiring leaders you need people that are problem solvers you need people that are operational you need people that add more to leadership so it's so interesting to kind of hear that you're saying I'm not all of that and actually do you know what I need somebody to be with me as my co-founder co-ceo or whatever it might be or co-partner to be able to bring some of that into it as well. Do you know, one of the things that I find really interesting about some of the topics that you talk about, and I I also think it's really helpful for younger people to understand this, or just any people, to be honest with you, is around things like the metaverse, as an example, because there are lots of people that do not understand the tech space because it is evolving so, so fast. But if somebody wanted to come into this field or wanted to really understand this whole space like how would you even explain let's say for example the metaverse in the snappiest sort of way because there's a lot of people wanting to sidestep their careers or try and find a way of getting into it but they don't quite get it so do you think there's opportunities here? I mean, absolutely. I think there's not enough people in the space. And I think that to your point, which is such a valid point, this is what what we do for most companies. Like We work with some of the biggest fashion brands. We work on group level, C-suite level, because we found that's the quickest way to activate change and to build projects out. Because of the big jargon world and the hype world around the metaverse, there's lots of kind of people really confusing individuals those that were there first want to wrap it with as much jargon as possible so it's difficult for other people to enter and it makes it seem very bizarrely confusing like what is a metaverse well to start off with the metaverse isn't one place it's a constellation of different spaces that are digital So effectively, if you think Web 2 is, you know, a website, Web 3, the metaverse, is a place that you can step into, it's experiential, and you can live and breathe. It's on 24 hours, and it's much more immersive. So that could be a multitude of different things. I think now we have Sandbox and Decentraland. So there's all these energy around, like, this is the metaverse. And instead, they could be, you know, towns or cities that exist within metaverse. So I think the confusion is the metaverse seems like one place, and it's just not. And that comes from lots of individuals wanting your attention in those said spaces, so they have a higher revenue, uh, to be frank. So I think that if you're considering working in the metaverse, that is AR, that is VR, So the filters that you see on your mobile phones, they are very much the metaverse. Um, The fundamental point that brings it all together is the blockchain. So we're now working on lots of projects where augmented reality can sit on the blockchain. But these are all tools that are, are metaverse functionality tools. I would suggest for everyone to try and open a crypto wallet. It sounds really painful. There's lots of hoops to jump through. But I think that is a a really interesting step for everyone to be a part of. And then also as well, you said about people, how do you, you know, what are the the opportunities? There are so many opportunities for marketeers, for makers, 
for CEOs. There's, I think if you're interested in, yeah, the culture of our times, then you should 100% be thinking about how your brand or how you as a person sits in the duality of our future, which is the physical and digital, the IRL and the URL working together. I'm a strong believer in that actually we're not as humans all wanting to vacate our physical bodies and sit in a kind of matrix vision. That's just not what we want to do. And I think that's why augmented reality and the mixed reality is a much more succinct and powerful vision of where the future will be and the most likely vision. Because I do not believe, and me being the CEO of the Institute of Digital Fashion, I still, I'm not sitting here naked, wrapped in a digital cloth. I've got clothes on, you know, <laughs> you know and I'm the biggest. It's a very um, different podcast if it was. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that everyone should jump in and ask questions. and It's a place for everybody. I always feel like whenever I speak to you, you always have so much passion for what you do. And actually, it means people resonate with that. I will actually learn so much in that sense, like that one answer that you gave versus the, the multiple different things that I have read out there. So I'm just going to like say thank you for doing that. Is this the part of your job that gets you really excited? Because you wear many hats, you know. So what's the mm. thing that gets you really excited about what you do? I think the big thing is activating change. And we are seen as, you know, we birthed IDF as an emblem for change. And we actually had a big, you know, when you start a company, you speak to people that are above you, to the side of you, your peers, and you're like, okay, can anyone like advise me? Because I'm, I love to learn, and I haven't got an ego in that sense. I'm open to sound bites and to have sounding walls on where what I can do better. Always, I always want to grow and do more and do better. So I asked loads of people, and I got on a couple of calls, and I said, you know, we're launching this institute of digital fashion, but you want it to be about an emblem for change. You want it to be about diversity, inclusion, and really changing the industry and changing all of the structure of the industry but considering sustainability at the heart of it and they were like oh god it sounds like it's a heart-driven company you just shouldn't you know I just don't think it's wise why do you care about these things like what's the IP well that's the IP but you know what's the bottom line you know how are you gonna make money I was like well look at my business plan this is how we're gonna make money but I feel that there's so much broken it needs to be changed and through that change there is value added for more profits, more economic buoyance for the creators and makers, more um, diverse individuals being a part of this because right now education ignores them, doesn't allow them in and is desperately elitist. So we can onboard thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that have been left behind due to the education. And they're like, oh, yawn. I think it's a terrible idea. And now I'm like, hi, by the way, just raised 15 million and we just got a 70 million valuation of our company. So put that in your pipe hole. Because not once did you say, oh, yeah, they're right. They're right. Yeah. I can't do it. Not once did you say that. You were just like, yeah, look at my business plan. Look at my focus. And you pursued on with that. And, you know, you got the results to prove for that. So yeah. there you go. It is that. And I feel like, you know, we've got the opportunity to change the world. And what doesn't make you wake up and just feel like I've got to do it. That's why I feel like every day, I'm no joke, I feel like we've got to do this. I'm really so in it that I don't ever falter on my energy because I know we've got to do it. 
and no one cares as much as we do yeah that's impressive but also I just want to say that's also really hard to do given the fact that you own your own business because you're also responsible for people's salaries and mortgages people that work for you there is did you ever have those moments where you go oh god maybe no oh absolutely I feel like we all have imposter syndrome and as a female I think that you're like it's really drilled into you right that you are supposed to be a certain way and if I'm you know a little bit bullshit or asking harder questions on production or budgets then I'm being a bit of a bitch or I don't know if we're allowed to say that sorry a bit of a beep but you know I'm seen as being much more masculine let's say that of course at times fault is exhausting that intensity and vision and the fact that we do have yeah the weight of a whole group you know my team that I love and they're so committed and dedicated like we But that's why, you know, we're doing it for them as well. Mm, I agree. And to your point about how other people see you, sometimes you've got to be a decision maker. You've got to just be blunt and to the point. And sometimes I've had that too in my time where, you know, I'm naturally a friendly person. But actually, when I mean business, I'm just like, I need to get stuff done. And people have a different version of you off the back of it once they be like that. It's just like, like, oh, oh. And I'm like, I just said, can we have the detailed budget? Like, <laughs> I'm not going to chat. Question. So, <laughs> one thing that I loved that you just talked about was inclusivity and diversity. And in the tech space, that's something I'm actually really quite passionate about. So, how do you create inclusivity in tech? Well, I think for us right now, fashion is like desperately elitist, as one from an education standpoint, which I just mentioned earlier, you know, it's so expensive to study now. So from that perspective, like, how do you even get into the fashion industry if you haven't been through Central St. Martins or if you haven't, um, you know, same with tech, right? You get those qualifications and then go on an internship where you're paid, you're, well, you're not paid at all for months or years on end. And the likelihood of you earning many money is zilch, really. So so fashion has a diversity problem from a hiring perspective, um, but then also through sizing and (laughs) the issues with cultural appropriation, which continue to lead conversations in the fashion industry. Um, And so for us, the gender discourse is also super interesting when it comes to, uh, you know, male, female, non-binary, trans, queer, like all the different terms encapsulate the world that we live in that are ignored or held up as a token gesture in the fashion industry uh, continually. So one of the ways in which we deliver against that or to solve some of the problems is we work on the program biases with some of the software companies. So we, one of our world's first, because we have six, is with Clo3D. It's a software that lots of uh, digital makers use primarily for fashion uh, products. So it's an avatar creation and build and simulation. So it's a big marketplace. You can buy different versions of, of avatars and you sculpt them and make them and build them yourself. And you can really collaborate with software and really change and build them out. So it's, it's phenomenal software. But there was loads of like, rumblings in the industry where everyone's kind of a little bit moany because primarily it was again you know like when you turned up the token avatar was a uh well the one that came up first of all is a white tall woman with lovely boobs and big bottom and like all those proportions that fashion again incubates and it's like okay to get anything outside of that i have to pay or i have to you know request or color in you know there's all if you get where i'm going so 
we worked with them and because for the big Stonewall anniversary and so they were wanting to do something for pride and we were like okay but what are you going to create some like digital assets with rainbows on like what is it and we saw the past pride packages and we actually said look we can work with you but what we want to do is not just create one thing we want to sit with you and we're going to build a diversity board for you so every time we're going to shift the whole narrative of the software from characterization to representation so every single asset that you produce somebody from the background the cultural background and a chorus of individuals from that cultural background are going to be a part of the building process because right now you've got loads of cis white men building avatars that look nothing like them and that are from totally different cultural backgrounds. And because it was the Pride activation, Stonewall, the anniversary of Stonewall, we actually worked with them because prior to working with us, there was, if you put female clothes on a male avatar, it would kind of go, it would, the software wouldn't allow it. You couldn't put a moustache on a female avatar from a male avatar. So the binary in gender was really specific. So we were like, okay, now we on DAS, what we need to do is we need to have a non-binary asset. So obviously they assumed that was one thing. And instead, what we actually delivered was a non-binary asset, which is a digital double of my business partner, Katty Tay, who's a gender fluid non-binary individual with a sliding scale genitalia, the shoulder width is changeable because a lot of individuals and a lot of clients we were actually working with, like non-binary, oh, it's someone looks a bit like a boy, um, but is a girl, has wide shoulders. It's like, what do you even mean? So basically what we do and what we deliver is we not only build campaigns and clothing that fits anybody and consider gender discourse and different sizes, body types, but we also change the softwares. And that's one of the big things that we were really proud of is the fact that now change forever. And, you know, it is the fact that it's now about representation. You know, you now use the software and you can see yourself. Try you couldn't. So we've removed the biases. So I think that's a good example of the kind of work that we're delivering. That is a great example because being able to see yourself in tech and software and everything is so, so critical, especially because so many people are spending so much of their time online. And that is the version that they are growing up with. But to your point around, it's the makers and the producers and the engineers and the people that are creating products as well. They need to be from diverse backgrounds, which they often aren't. There is a problem with trying to get more people to build products in sort of bigger technology companies. So the more that people are making sure that this is a place that's open to everyone, that's a very cool space to work in, that you're welcome is really important. So you know, actually to my point around, there are lots of underrepresented communities in many sectors, and you've actually talked about a few of them, but you know, if there was a specific, or there might be a few, you might say, I want a few more communities represented in my industry. You know, Who would you be saying like, I'd love for more of this particular community in this industry to make it better? Well, interestingly, we really speak to lots of different marginalised groups. I think that's what we're talking about, right? It's like marginalised groups who don't have space. And that's what we re- that's why we built IDF. And that really includes people of different abilities as well. What does it mean for... So we did this whole diversity report because we were really struggling to feed back to loads of our clients with the non-binary term just kept coming up. Or what if we're making some avatars, why don't we give them all blue skin? And we were like, God, because for, you, you, you know, what would you say? What was I saying? In the end, I was just, it was empty. 
you know, because it's just my opinion. So we were like, right, let's do a a white paper. Get 6,000 people from around the globe, from, from different varied backgrounds to actually feed in on what is missing in this industry. So that diversity report, the white paper, is about the fundamentals of the metaverse, who's missing from it, what it all means. So it answers that question quite beautifully because things like, this is the reason now, because I've got the data points and the focus groups, why you cannot have blue skin. Because the really interesting thing that came back, oh, well, the Simpsons are still deemed white and they're bloody yellow. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I never thought about it that way until you just said it. Yeah. I suppose that's a really nice learning point of just how to do your job well or how to get in doing things like focus groups and white papers. They seem massive, but I mean, this was a really big one. And it's actually noted as one of the biggest in the industry. But um, getting sound bites from other people and individuals so you can actually feed back to clients with facts and data. I think data is so important. Who's needed? Um, I think different um, abilities and those with, with bodies that don't fit the specifics of the fashion narrative, particularly as makers, is really important. We worked with Aaron Philp on an amazing project with Meta, actually, where we created a whole metaverse reality. And for them as a POC, trans, queer fashion icon, uh, as a model, we built, uh, you know, what is the reality, what is the future world of creativity to them? They're in a chair. And so what does their world look like and mean? And we had lots of really interesting um, sound bites as well that those in a chair would not want to actually walk in the metaverse. Guess what? They just wanted to see themselves. So I think just like more of everyone who's not in that, the normal narrative, but also an interesting one is older individuals as in people who have possibly been like pattern cutters or um, worked in fashion for a long time there's still space for you because I think ageism is a big thing in fashion actually which no one talks about it's all about emerging um, but what about those who are um, have spent a lot of time in that space they're wise and they know so much about the industry. I think the metaverse is a really great space for them to pivot into. Agree. And also they bring that experience in of their craft and know it better. And to your point, it makes the sector thrive when you've got all experiences within it. And I think that's the point. And we should be opening up to like the older generation because everybody wants to sidestep in their careers as well or change or have change. A pivot. Uh, a pivot. Just, just a little casual pivot into the metaverse. <laughs> One thing I was going to also talk a little bit about is you're a working mum. You're a working mum. You oh, are yeah. running your robots. You're like, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> you've got so much going on and you've got the cutest little kid. And how do you stay on top of everything? There's a lot you have to you know, work out, you know, working mums, got to give them a lot of credit. I had a lot of working mums in my team that were trying to balance so much and they were still like smashing it in their core job every single day. So how do you stay like motivated, inspired and power through? Well, I feel like this is a really good one because to everyone who's hiring, hire a mum, hire a parent, because honestly, they know how to multitask like no one else. Um, and you really have to be like segmented in your energy. Like 
I've got to have this amount of time, which is me time. I've got to have this amount of time, which is work time. And I feel like, again, probably if you're looking at hiring, you see, you know, they're also a mother with two kids. You might be like, oh, they're juggling loads. Well, they're juggling. So they're going to be a great multitasker for you. But for me, I basically, I do have like timers and on on everything, as in I have a really heavy calendar that's down to the like last detail. Even, you know, when I spend time with my partner, what we're doing at those times, like I'm really specific because I have to build all that out because I have to be able to go, okay, I'm going to dedicate some love and attention to my child at this time. And I'm going to give as much gusto and drive towards as I do in my job. And they're as important as one another. And because I think that whole, you know, sex in the city, we can do it all. You can't do it all. You have to balance it all. And I think balance is the key thing. Like I try and go to the gym. I've got a gym really close to me, which I'm very privileged to have down the bottom of my road. So I can cycle there. I do that for my mental health. I like lift weights and to intense music um, because they love intense music at Block. And I go with a multitude of people that live in my apartment block. There's loads of fun people here that we've got a little WhatsApp group. I love to go swimming with my child. I love to go on bike rides. But more than anything, I like to learn. So I'm always listening to podcasts. Oh, nice. I'm going to send you the whole series. I'm going to expect a review of it all. (laughs) Podcasts are so good because you can put them on the double speed as well. And just like, you can really suck them all in. I, I just think podcasts are so good. I, I've just started listening to them a lot and it has really opened my mind. It's also weirdly therapeutic too. Totally. One thing that you actually talked about was blocking out time. And it's really interesting that you said that because then it means that you're fully present. There was so much distraction out there in terms of like, I've got to get that thing done. I've got to get that job done. I've got to get that pitch done. But you need to be fully present. And you can only do that if you time manage yourself to be able to do that and also allow yourself to have that two hours, three hours, whatever it might be with your kids as well. Because my sister has constantly said to me, do you know what? Every time I was having a conversation with you, you were just not fully present. And I was obviously offended because I was like, how dare you? I'm great to have a conversation with. But actually she was right. I was thinking about work always. And I wasn't allowing to you what you're doing, which is being present by blocking out that time, which is, I think is a great tip for anybody really you do you're there and you're fully present what are the three top tips or you may want to give more to anybody that wants to come into this field that wants to embrace digital fashion or just tech generally we've had like quite a few scenarios recently where we've had um lots of people fan in us as in like really obsessed with with idf because we're it's quite new there's only a few players in in this space at the moment when it comes to digital fashion and we're there in that small little set of individuals who are building this whole narrative this new world so we've had quite a few people that are diehard fans and they've kind of applied for jobs and and they've been a little bit deceitful on their um on their job applications because they just wanted it so much I think the first thing would be honesty and actually if you are wanting to get into it then and it's not just I want to be in it because it's it looks quite cool actually like why do you want to be in the space what does it mean to you like what do you believe but do you believe in the narrative like the why, like ask yourself the why. And if you can go to an interview or slip into someone's DMs, which I think is brilliant, everyone should do that. Brass neck, get out there, really put yourself on the line, see someone at an event, go and say hello to them. 
look online and see when they're going to an event and stalk them and go there and see them, do it all. But I think it's honestly, it's going, okay, I want to be in this for what reason? So being honest to yourself first, then being honest to the company or the people you're reaching out to as that why, you know, being really like show yourself like social media is a really big evil in so many ways. But the worst of it and the worst thing, I think, is that it gives this like bizarre facade of everyone being so cu- you know, curated and like polished. And actually, if you can see like allowing people to see you is so important because then they get a real sense of you. Um, and I think that honesty is so important. But on like fundamental like tips is well, one is I'm going to send a link. I don't know if we can do links on here. I hope we can. But perhaps when we put it out on social, we've actually got some beta applications. So mm-hmm. we'd love to like as a as like a gift to this new podcast is um have 10 or 15 of these beta plugins so people can apply to be on the network on our platform before anyone else. So we'd love to do that because we're actually building a platform which is, has lots of different roles for those who want to come into the space but I think it really is about honesty more than anything it's about being honest with the wise why do you want to be in the space and with that honesty I hope that would come research right you'll be researching as to why you want to be in that in that space and with that would come knowledge so I think honesty is honestly the biggest and most important thing I've always been the whole version of myself at all times and I think that's a good thing I love that because also to your point around finding people and just the chase of it, because I do think there is, you know, it's not going to come to you. You have to have the chase. Sometimes we have a little tiara on and think, you know what? Somebody's going to realize how bloody brilliant I am. You kind of have to show people how brilliant you are. That means go and chase the opportunity, which is to your point, like go to the places where people are, network, talk, learn, and embrace it that is a hundred percent you've just gotta nothing comes to you nothing comes to you I am absolutely exhausted I work so much I care so much I do not leave a stone unturned because I'm just so in this and always looking I'm always learning and I'm always reaching out because you do not nothing comes to you on a plate ever And for me, the hurdles are the things that make you stronger all the time. Every time I hit one of those, I get even more excited because I know that I'm going to learn more and more and more and more every time we fall. I love the fact that you said that because I have talked about this before, but like marketing has not been a very glamorous job and I have done some horrible jobs in my past life. And, you know, you just keep doing it. You keep doing it to get to where you want to get to. And I didn't fall into my job. It didn't just happen. So I think it's really important. But when you come out the other side of it, you look back at your life and you look back at all that hard work you put in and you go like, bloody hell, it was worth it. I've learned so much. And maybe I never learned something in that thing, but I've earned my right to be here. You talked about social media and, you know, I've um, clearly follow you on Instagram and I follow you on <laughs> social just generally. And you have a very impressive social media presence quite rightly so given your job and you're promoting your business and things like that but being on social media does mean there's a lot of distraction there's lots of pressures do you often find pressures from looking at social media or do you sort of invite it into your creative world 
Yeah, I feel like it's like such an important part of it and seeing and, and the great thing about it is that you can observe this like idea of like this constellation. You can see who someone's been, you know, a project, who they've been with, who they've collaborated with, who built that out, who was the producer, who was the art director. So it's a real good knowledge capture, whereas before it was very coveted, the industry. You can see things evolving. You're like, oh, my God, they were at the pub together. Well, not the pub. I don't know who goes to the pub anymore. But, you know, they were at a networking event together. They were at their house together. You know, you can see it all kind of mapped. I think that's super interesting. And you can see where projects, like, start to evolve and build out. And then there's the obvious, like, weight of it. I don't post on the, my main feed on Instagram enough. And I don't have a TikTok, but I work on the strategy for TikTok, for IDF's TikTok. I love LinkedIn at the moment, actually. I think LinkedIn is so much fun. I know. Suddenly, I've yeah. actually quite enjoyed LinkedIn, and I don't know why. Yeah. I used to hate so it. Good. Yeah. It's because like, I'm one of those people who write really long captions, so I've always got so much to say. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, no one's reading the captions. They're just looking at me doing my bloody walk or whatever I'm doing on there, looking like an avatar. <laughs> um, so I'm like, God, I can actually say something on LinkedIn. And there's so much knowledge on there. that People are really using LinkedIn to knowledge share, which is great. Because again, this why you know why this podcast is so important that you've built is because knowledge sharing is something which is not really indicative to this world really. But now it's people aren't as being as guarded. They're like, I got here through these things, and it's amazing to hear the stories. Or I built out this this project. Obviously, mine. I'm all about digital innovation and you know these different realities. And so it's like, oh, we built this project out. These were the thinkings and the fundamentals of it before it went live so you get to have all the kind of background research as to how they got there rather than the end product and lots of like data and analytics and things like that on LinkedIn yeah I think you're right actually because to your point around a caption doesn't say what it's supposed to be saying well it might just do the great job of just like yeah. showing off something showing off yeah <laughs> I also love which is I know we do but you know what's really quite why well, I quite like taking the piss out of myself on Instagram um mm-hmm. generally but I'm always having a bit of a pop at myself but I to your point around like knowledge sharing it's so important because I will say for example somebody went onto your social media like your your Instagram and actually you know, they'll see, gosh, she's so impressive, potentially feels quite intimidating. But this conversation right now, how amazing has this been? The conversation about how hard you work and the stuff you built and the, the way you grew up and how your parents had a tattoo shop. The background story behind people, like humanizing the people behind the face, as you know, the podcast is called, is so, so important. Another question I had for you, and I think we quickly talked about it when we first talked about this podcast, was I spoke to a 15-year-old. And I actually told her that I'm speaking to somebody that knows a lot about fashion. And she asked me when she's on social media, she finds it really overwhelming. There's so many trends that are happening right now. She's finding it really overwhelming. And to her point, she's like, how do I stay on track of all this stuff? Like, how do I stay in the right mindset? How do I stay, have the right clothes? Like, there's so many trends. I just can't keep up. How would you advise her on how to cope with that? Well, I think that's the bewildering thing, isn't it? Is because we get to see a microcosm of everyone's universes. And I think before they were the club nights or the magazines and the zines and the self, you know, self-publications or the meetups. And I think they're now all in one space for you to delve into and really swim around. But there's all of them there. You know, I remember when I first started researching projects I was always have multiple tabs open because there was so much I was like oh my god there's so much so I think that 
if you are someone that gets deeply overwhelmed, it would be, what's your agenda? Like, why are you looking there? And you can then, as soon as you have your agenda, it's like having a really good KPI, key performance indicator, if no one knows what that is. Like, okay, so what is it? Like, what do I need to get from this? And what is it indicating, like, the outcome? What is it? So you go, okay, I want to find a bloody good skirt. Like, that's what it is. And that's the only thing I'm going to look at today. And if other things come in, you can bookmark those or put them somewhere later. I always use the notes on my phone, actually. But I think having an agenda while you're on there and also a time limit, because the overwhelming um, nature of social media is something we all definitely have to be aware of. Specifically, being a teenager in that category is because you're hormones and your your mind's working a lot faster than mine or yours is you've got your appetite and hunger for answers is stronger you'll definitely be yo-yoing within that because that's what it means to be a teenager you're you know you're at the point in your life where you're taking all the risks but also making the biggest decisions but also that those big decisions don't really mean anything really but as in it'll all be fine but I think you really should be aware of your time on there and give yourself a little timer and just go with an agenda and then it'll be so much more fun I'm just looking for a skirt or how to do my makeup or I'm looking for a collaborator on a project and what is the project you know there's so many answers in that space which is phenomenal but also to their point, really overwhelming. Oh, yeah, and I think you're right as well. Sometimes there's so much overwhelm. Just simplify it for yourself, and that's kind of controlling what you're going to simplify. Pick a skirt, pick a scarf, whatever it might be, and then maybe potentially something might come out of that. But then if you're looking at so many different trends, you're just your head's going to be everywhere. And I find that too. I'm just like, God, what am I going to wear today now? That's just stressing me out now. Yeah, I've got a wedding. And I'm like, I can't wear digital fashion to a wedding. Oh my what God, am I going to wear? Could you imagine? Just the, <laughs> If you had to surmise your success in three words, what would it be? Oh, right. Okay, so this is, this is my one. So I would say brass neck optimism. Okay. Do you know what brass neck is? In case I, I was like, is that like an old world term? I know it is, isn't it? Well, explain it to like, people. No know if they're like fifteen. So brass neck is basically to be as bullshy as possible and just to have no fear. So you really put your neck out. So we were talking about attending events and seeing where those people are, hunting them down. I'm not saying be a stalker, but just be attend the events, go there. If you see someone, say hello to them. Go into people's DMs work hard and research like really put the time in to every asset and like brass neck is just meaning like basically to put your neck out your neck's made of brass so if anyone wants to chop it to get, that's what it actually means so yeah brass neck and optimism I'm so optimistic if there's a problem I see it as a hurdle which is a growth trajectory I am so 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 optimistic because do you know what? Life is very complicated. So many layers to it. It is the, the roller coaster. There's no, it's not like any of the movies. It's it's literally difficult, turbulent, hard. That's why you have to laugh and smile and just be, you know, see everything as a challenge. And it's great that you're in the race, not as a hurdle you can fall over. It's like, oh my God, the hurdle's bigger bloody great let's work a bit harder beforehand pump up those muscles get that research in so we can take it i think that's great be in the race but also stay make sure you laugh and smile along the way i think that's such a lovely lovely message to end with as well so with that i was just going to say 
Thank you, Ian. Thank you so much for spending the time with me today. I've really, really enjoyed this chat. So we've got more to talk about. I'm going to take you to a pub. That's what I'm going to do next. Yes. No, my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Hello. Thank you for listening to Behind the Face of Success. I hope you've enjoyed it just as much as I have. If possible, please can I ask you to rate, review and subscribe to these podcasts as it actually helps more people find them. And look out for the next episode next week.